You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. This is a special episode of the Hashtag FemSquire series, where I interview women attorneys and law firm owners about their career path and their experience as an entrepreneur, including why they became a lawyer, how their practice has evolved, their biggest challenges and successes as both attorneys and business owners, and their vision for the future. They share their philosophies about business and life. Don't reinvent the wheel. Whatever you're going through, these ladies have been there and done that already. Learn from their mistakes and from their successes. Find out what works for them and what didn't. And you'll find that their inspiration, motivation, and challenges are probably very similar to your own. Whatever you're experiencing, you're not alone. I hope you enjoy these ladies' stories. Okay, you are listening to Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Christina Previtt, and joining me today is my special guest, Danielle Thompson Manley, for the hashtag FemSquire series. And I'm especially pleased to be talking to Danielle today because Danielle has a rather interesting career trajectory. I met her when we had a divorce case together some years ago when we were baby lawyers and have been watching her on social media and am impressed that she's really been traveling the world not just as a visitor, but living in different countries in Asia. And I'm really interested in hearing more about how that came about and what your experience has been. So thank you, Danielle. Pleased to be here. Thank you for asking me. Of course. And I was just commenting before we started recording that I feel like we're both grownups now because you're like this woman now that has blossomed. <laughs> and I remember you being, not that you're not young, but I just remember us both being like really young, you know? Yes. I mean, it was almost 20 years ago. I think it would have been. I can't even believe it. Maybe 18. I don't know. A long time well, I've ago. Been, it, well, it can't be that long. <laughs> I've been practicing for 16 years. So it's probably more like maybe yeah. 13 years. A lot happens in that time. I have to say, too, you sound like you have a little bit of an accent. Really? Of what sort? <laughs> Because most people don't know where I'm from overseas. People have no idea if I'm from the U.S., U.K., Australia, Canada. Yeah, it could be anywhere. You're blonde with blue eyes, so you could be. <laughs> could be anywhere. Uh, it's almost, if I didn't know you, I would say I detected a little bit of a British accent. My kids go to a British school, so it could be that I'm picking up a little bit of the, the lingo. They asked me tonight at dinner, actually, how do you speak American? I don't know where this came from, but they asked me how to speak American. English? <laughs> Is that what they meant? They meant American. Like, they know that, that they speak English, but then they know there's different accents. So I think they meant what's the accent. So we talked about different accents in, in the U.S. And then they started speaking in a British accent because they... They go to a British school, so they started mimicking what their teachers sound like. But it was, yeah, pretty funny. So I should say right now where I am, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. What time is it yeah. where you are? It is 9 at night. And where are you now? Yes. I'm at home. 
in Bangkok, Thailand. Yeah, Bangkok, Thailand. That is so awesome. I wish I could have come to visit you and do this in person. (laughs) That would be awesome. When we can all travel again, you're more than welcome. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, because I will take you up on that offer. So I'm so anxious to just jump ahead and, and get into how you ended up living in Asia, but we should probably start at the beginning. And I always start my FemSquire interviews the same way. Where did you go to college and what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a good question. I went to, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. And then my dad got a job in Charlotte, North Carolina during my senior year of high school. So I finished high school in New York because it's your senior year. It's the biggest deal of your life at that point. So there's no way I was moving before the end of it but then thought this was my escape from New York. I had looked at Colgate and Union and Hartwick, like all these colleges in New York State, and thought that that's where I was gonna be, but I really, really wanted to go out of the state. I had this, I always had this sort of travel bug and wanderlust, but didn't grow up in a family that traveled at all. But I really, really wanted to go outside. I really wanted to go to California to a school, but my parents said, no, it's too far and expensive and you just can't. So when we realized we're moving to North Carolina, I thought, oh, this is my, this is my ticket out. I can still go, I can go to a state, maybe go to a state school or something in North Carolina and, and get out of my hometown. I ended up going to a small college called North Carolina Wesleyan. And I chose it because it was a small liberal arts school. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I could play on the volleyball or soccer team. And I was an athlete all through high school and thought, this is this is pretty cool. I can go to college and still play a sport. So I chose there and chose English as my major and a justice studies minor. I think I had an interest in law very early on, but in a very different aspect than what, I'm, than what I ended up doing career-wise. But then thought along the way that I'd become an English teacher. I always, I'm always interested in words and text and grammar and writing, reading, and I thought, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't have much exposure to, to much else. <laughs> How, what, what are the different options? I thought I was going to be an English teacher. That's, that's what I, that's what I went to college, I think, thinking that I, Why yeah, did, did you I would do. want to be an English teacher or did you kind of? Yeah, I had some interest, like but I, did, I shouldn't know what the, what the options were. I, I just didn't really know. So I went to, I went to college and made, I did English literature as a major and this other this minor in justice studies, which exposed me to like criminal justice and things like that. I finished up college, not still not really knowing what I wanted to, but deciding that I actually didn't want to be a teacher. At some point along the way, I realized that that's not what I want to do um, because I, it's I felt like I was in this educational institution for so long that I didn't I want to do something outside of it. And being a teacher keeps you pretty much in the academic institution. (laughs) So I applied to three law schools and I thought if I get into one, I'm going to do, I'm going to go. And if I don't, then I'll do something else. I really, I didn't have it all planned out. Why law school? I thought that I had this interest in, in being a public servant, like helping people. And I thought a law degree is a really good tool towards that end. If I can spend my life serving the public, whether that's abused and neglected children or it, that's really what, what I went to law school for was to be in the public interest kind of work. And I applied to one in the West, one in the North, one in the South. <laughs> I thought Where if I get go? into one, I ended up going to University of North Carolina, which was the state that I was in and went thinking and did all of my studies and summer internships and everything really focused on public interest kind of work. And I've never actually ended up doing it. <laughs> that's so funny. 
Yeah, because yeah. we were commenting earlier how we did a divorce case together. And I yeah. always say divorce picks you. You don't ordinarily pick it. Would you say yeah. that was the case for you? I would. I didn't I didn't think about during law school. I didn't think about doing family law. And I didn't I didn't really I like I said, I did like a lot of public interest kind of work in the summers, mostly in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where my family was. So I would just go back to Charlotte from Chapel Hill in the summers and then I ended up doing family law because, well, I, I clerked on the Court of Appeals, the North Carolina Court of Appeals, for a year after law school and did the bar exam, did the clerkship. So it was all really all set up to stay in North Carolina. And in law school, met my now husband, who also got his MBA at the same time and got a job offer with Johnson & Johnson in New Jersey. So he and wasn't from New Jersey either. No, he actually grew up in Bangkok, Thailand. He's American, but grew up in Thailand. Oh, so I see. Sort of, I see yeah. it's starting to come together now. Yeah, sort of the connection to Asia. Um, but he he spent all of his college years, and then he worked for a while as a consultant for Accenture, which it was Anderson at the time, now Accenture Consulting. And then he went back to law school. We met our first year in law school. He also got his MBA and then got this job offer in Johnson, in New Jersey, in, in New Brunswick or Piscataway. And he asked if I would move to New Jersey with him. And I have to say, I was not thrilled about the prospect of moving to New Jersey. I thought, I've already taken a bar exam. I've got all my legal contacts. My family's in North Carolina. I don't, like, really, New Jersey? <laughs> like, of all yeah. places, I don't, I don't really New Jersey go. wouldn't have been my first pick either. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end, like we really loved living there and we had a, we had a fantastic experience. And so I moved with him and I, that's when I, I didn't know what to do job wise, but I just started applying for clerkships because I learned that there's trial court clerkships in North Jersey, which is not in every state. So in North Carolina, it was only appellate and like court of appeals and Supreme court level. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't that know that. You have that. clerkships. Yeah. You don't have clerks at the low, at the like district court and um, it's, it's all different names, but it's the, like the trial court level. There's no, you don't apply for, for clerkships. I learned in New Jersey, you can. So I just started applying um, and landed one with judge Zucker Zaret. <laughs> and how was that? Did you enjoy it? I can't say that I enjoyed every day of it, but I learned a lot she was tough. I mean, she was a tough, a tough judge to, yeah. to clerk for. I enjoyed her staff. Like we had a really, a really good time. We were very close and I enjoyed being in the courthouse and, and I, I did learn a lot. She was very, very tough to work for, but at the end of the day, I learned, learned quite a bit. I think um, you probably learn more from them, right? Even if it's just yeah. about not just law, but employment and you know how to rise up when you have to at a demanding yes. job. I mean, that led me into family law because she was, a, she was on okay. the family bench. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's that, well, pretty I, much, yeah. I was definitely going to ask you that. So was it just kind of a natural inclination to just start looking for family law jobs? But I want to back up a little bit. What you mentioned that you had done some public interest work in, in the summers when you were in law school. What were they? Yeah. That was working, again, at a courthouse. So I worked in – I can't say that – like family law wasn't, it wasn't so far off my radar because one of the clerkships was with the trial court administrator's office in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they were looking for somebody to develop a guide for people who want to go through the divorce process on their own. So I, like if like people who can't afford counsel. 
So I developed this self-help guide for going through a divorce in, in North Carolina for that office. There was the trial court administrator and the family court administrator's office. So it was sort of a combined effort between them. I think I, I mean, this was a so long ago, but I remember working on helping develop templates for judges' orders so that it wasn't like creating things right from the start every time. It was a lot of courthouse kind of court administrator kind of work. I'm trying to I'll think. Say there's a lot of companies that yeah. sell those kinds of manuals. Yes. Not always <laughs> <This> cheap. <laughs> this was, I did, yeah, developed one for, for, the, for the courthouse. It was, a self, it was called the Self-Help Serve Center. And we did the manual, but then we actually had a, a, a filming crew come in and we walked like, had I don't think I was in it. I, I, as I recall, it was it was like an actress who we walked them through the process as if they were going through the self help center. So it was it was creative and fun, and and I remember I mean, just so so different than what I ended up doing professionally. But I really enjoyed it. And in law school, also did a, some juvenile delinquent like like the the court yeah. clinic that you do. So spent some time. I always thought like being in court was a, was something that I would, I would do and did for, for a little while in, in family law. And I, I can't say that I didn't enjoy it. I, I thought it was really, it's a really stimulating and it like family law is, is an area of law that you can be in the courthouse right away. Yes. Cause I remember, especially at, at Riker, when I moved from, from Laffer to Riker, there was like the, the commercial lawyers, the, like commercial associates the same like same age as me who would have never seen the inside of a courtroom for years and I yeah. was in court straight away so yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. that is really good experience especially as a young attorney to be in court thinking on your feet representing yeah. actual people that often yes. are sitting right next to you yes um yeah yeah a lot rather than just doing transactional work and not really having much client contact yeah. Kind of makes yeah. you grow up fast, makes you develop a little quicker as an attorney. I think it does. Yeah. So how long did you live in New Jersey? I lived in New Jersey for three or four years. I don't really think about the years, but I think it was like from, yeah, three years from 2004 to seven. I think, yeah. And you said that you yeah. had this wanderlust from the time you were much younger. How did you yeah. satisfy that? Did you start traveling, I, you know, when you were in high school and college? Yeah, I in high school a, a little bit. I mean, not not like huge trips, but I, I didn't really, my family didn't travel much outside New York State. But, I mean, we traveled within and went camping and things like that, but we didn't go on like the trip to Myrtle Beach, which my friends were doing um, during school holidays and things like that. But we... I ended up babysitting for a family in high school. I remember it was one of my middle school, middle school teachers, I think, ended up babysitting his kids. And they took me as their babysitter, like on trips, like to Virginia Beach and things like that. So I got like a little bit of exposure outside of New York State and just really had this thing about wanting to see more of the U.S. and more of the world. And I took, I was in French class in high school and I remember the teacher said, we have this trip that you, that she takes the, the classes on every two years. She travels to France and takes the class with her. And it's an 
awesome opportunity, but it costs hundreds of dollars. And this was like, I grew up in very humble beginnings. My parents didn't have that kind of money. They're very blue collar workers. They always worked really hard and provided as best they possibly could. But any kind of splurges like that were, were just not going to, to happen. But I was so determined to go on this trip to France. So this is, I don't know if this still happens in the US, but you could collect bottles and cans for five cents. Uh, you can do that in New York because I did yes. live upstate New York in the Catskills for a little while. And I remember okay. my brother used to do that. And he would yes, take like, what I thought was a lot of money at the time. Yes, it's like New York, Maine, New Hampshire. I don't know. I think there's a, a, a small list of, of states you can do. So I just started going door to door in around my neighborhood and the streets surrounding my neighborhood and other neighborhoods. I asked my teachers at school if they would bring me all their bottles and cans from their parties on the weekends. And I collected like garbage bags full of bottles and cans. I mean, this is like a nickel a piece. Yeah. To add up to hundreds. I can't remember what the amount was that I need to raise, but it was in the hundreds of dollars. And because it was like the flight and the, the hotels and, you know, for, a I think, a two week trip to France or something. So it wasn't cheap. And um, but I was really determined to go. I wanted to go so badly. So I collected all the bottles and cans I possibly could. And I put them in the trunk of my car and I would take them to the space, the place where you cash it all in. Yeah. And I I just saved up dollar by dollar by dollar and went on this trip to France and had the most amazing time. I thought it was just the best thing. I love and that like <laughs> my first passport was when I was 18 and getting to go on this trip to France with my French, yeah, high school French class. And I think from then I just, it's like this insatiable thing. Like I couldn't go, I couldn't go too many places. I wanted to go everywhere. And I'm much older than that now. And I still want to see more and more and more of the world. I don't, I don't know that it's ever completely satisfied. I think it's, travel becomes different as you maybe as you get older or, or or you just appreciate things at a slower pace now i'm happy to go to a place and not see so much of it and just yeah. really take in more of a, a a smaller part of a country or of a city but but i i think it started very young for me that i just really wanted to see more of the world um yeah I love that because I also have a wanderlust and I didn't even go to Europe until I was 40. And I just I remember at the time I, I was having this dialogue in my head that I really want to see the world, but when am I going to do it? I'm 40. You know, why haven't I done it yet? And yeah. so I just, I just started traveling more. So I love that you have this wanderlust too, and that you actually started feeding it much earlier than I did. And what I really love about what you're doing now is it's so di it's such a different experience to visit someplace than it is to actually live there and really yeah. immerse yourself in the culture and the daily living. Because yeah, for sure. Away, yeah. Typically we go see the tourist spots, right? You, you don't get, I don't think you get a real flavor of how the, the people who live there really live when you're just going for short little jaunts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I tried to to continue to to fulfill that wanderlust through college and um, not so much. Yeah, and law, law school as well. So in college, I I signed up for um, there were a couple overseas volunteer opportunities to do as like service projects and went on a couple in Costa Rica and one in Puerto Rico and then 
But those are like, when I think of those trips, it's very, yeah, it's like short snippets and little bits of pieces of a city that you, that you learn about or the, or the country, but you don't really, you're not immersed enough to really understand it. And then in law school, I hated law school, by the way. Like I thought it was one of the, the first year of it anyway. I didn't hate it all, but the first year, the first term I thought was really difficult. It was just like a completely different way of learning than I had yeah. been doing up until that point. And seemed so like that Socratic method thing of yeah. being yeah. picked on. And, and so I just, it wasn't, basically it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really struggled with what, whether I made the right choice to go to, to even go to law school, but I decided to go my second year. So my, it, it was my second semester of my second year of law school, went and studied, looked at all the exchange program options and went to the Nether- Netherlands and did a, a term at, in, um, the, it was called the University of Nijmegen in, in the Netherlands. So about an hour and a half southeast of Amsterdam and loved it. Like an amazing, amazing, amazing um, experience. And and I so I think every year I from high school, I just tried to go somewhere and do something. And then of course in law school met my husband who grew up in Bangkok. And I think as soon as he said he's from Thailand, I was just like, infatuated. <laughs> it's like, you're what? Where did you grow up in where? And, and, and it was, it was really interesting to, to, to meet this person who had like a completely different worldview. And so I started visiting Thailand with him, I think from like a year after we started dating, I just went to, to visit Bangkok. And you really do, like you said, like once you're immersed in a place, get to understand so much more about a country than you get from visiting it as a tourist. It's really, it's really different. Like I had, I had lunch today with a Thai colleague and felt like I really, like I really understand people, the culture. And I've lived in three different Southeast Asian countries and they're all very different. And I think if you haven't, if you haven't been to other different countries in Southeast Asia, it might just be all Asia and not distinguishable, but it's, it, they're so different country to country, even with countries that are so close together. They're completely different cultures, different people, different vibes. It's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing to, to learn. And I feel really fortunate that I've been able to experience how life would you in this way. How, if you had to describe them, how would you distinguish them? And where did you live? So the first time we moved overseas was um, 13 years ago this month, 13 years ago. We moved to Vientiane, Laos, and that stemmed from meeting the founding partner of a law firm that's based in Cambodia and has offices throughout Southeast Asia. We, on one of our trips to Bangkok to see Chris's parents for Christmas, we and we were married at, by this time. I was working for Riker Danzig in New Jersey, and we. I remember saying to the partner that I was going to take this three-week trip to Thailand. <laughs> And she didn't react very well, like yeah. taking three you're, weeks off from family law. Is, you're probably saying that mildly. I mean, sometimes they look at you funny if you want a week off. Yes. So taking three, but it's such a far trip. Yeah. And we're like, well, I mean, it's not like I'm not going to look at my emails or anything. This is in the Blackberry days. I remember I had a Blackberry. I was like, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll check my emails. I'll prepare every, everything for all the court appearances before I go. And, and like, I'm going to go. You weren't really asking, right? No, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. (laughs) And 
Yeah. So it, it didn't go over very well, but I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to go during that trip. We met, uh, and I remember, gosh, I remember, I'll never forget the night I stayed up till four in the morning at Riker Danzig, trying to prepare every case information statement and everything that needed to be done for the three weeks that I would be gone. And I think we had a car arriving to take us to the airport and I, I had to go home in time to get the car. <laughs> I literally like drove home in tears, just thinking, I don't, I don't know that I have done everything that could possibly be done for everything for the next three weeks, but I just have to let it go. But I did, I did my, yeah, I did as much as I possibly could. And, and then, you still had a job when you came back. I did. But in the meantime, we had met this, we went to this Christmas party. We met this guy who founded this firm in Southeast Asia. And he said, would you ever consider moving overseas? And, and I need lawyers in my Laos office. Would you guys consider moving, moving overseas? And we're like, we didn't know if the guy was serious or not. We're like, um, okay, let's, and we met him for dinner the next week. And he's like, you know, I'm really serious. I, I think like having experienced attorneys in my Laos office would be really helpful. And we learned a bit more about it. And he, he said he was, he's serious and send, send him our resumes when we get back to the States and we'll, we'll, can, we'll stay in touch. And then, and we did, we got back to the U S and we thought, what, you know, we're young. We like, what do we have to lose? If we go do that for a few years, we can always come back. If it doesn't work out, we can even come back after yeah. a year. But if we don't do it, we might always regret that we didn't try to, to live overseas. So we, because we were both had that same kind of like wanting to move overseas if possible. But I was, I was working in a family law firm in New Jersey. I was never going to move overseas with, with that kind of work. Yeah, and no. Chris was doing like, he was doing contract negotiation for J&J in New Jersey, but not in an international scope at all. It was very, very U.S. So uh, this was like a chance to do something different. And if we didn't take the chance, it might never come up again. Um, and if we did take the chance, it could have, it could have gone all wrong and it could have been awful, but, but we didn't, we wouldn't know and we might regret it. And so we sold our house. We had cars, we sold our cars, we sold everything in our house. We didn't have kids kids at that point. No. And that, I think that made it easier too. We were like, we didn't have kids and we weren't at the point of wanting to have kids yet. So we were, we were sort of in a good place to try it out. And if it didn't work out, just come back. Now, why did your husband live in Thailand? He lived in Thailand because his parents moved his, his long story short, his dad grew up in Oklahoma and in, enlisted in the Navy because he wanted to get out of the U.S. He had this sort of like, I want to go see the world kind of thing. And he got stationed in Washington, D.C. for four years. So he never actually saw anything except the East Coast of the U.S. So he, in the meantime, met uh, during those years, met Chris's mom but told her when he, when he was done with Navy service, I'm going to go travel the world for a year. He bought a round the world ticket. And when he got to Southeast Asia and, and to Laos in particular, he met somebody who offered him a job to help out in like his print, print shop business, like printing business. But it was supposed to be like a six month to a year kind of thing. So he said, yes, let's, I'll do that. He flew back to the States, proposed to Chris's mom. They got married. He moved, they moved overseas. And this would have been when, they were, they were similar ages when we moved overseas. So it was, she was 28, he was 30 kind of thing. And then they just never left. He ended up opening his own business, representing American brands overseas. He, he did some travel and tourism stuff. He, did, he represented insurance companies. He, just, he was like this enterprising kind of person, like an entrepreneur. And he, 
he was one of the first American, he was the first American businessman in, in Laos. So he just set up shop and never left. And they had five kids and Chris is the youngest of them. And in the mid seventies, the communist regime took over in Laos and all foreigners had to leave the country. So they moved to, to Bangkok, Thailand. So Chris being the youngest, he grew up mostly in Bangkok, but his older siblings had all mostly grown up in Laos and Vientiane. And then, yeah, so he grew up in Bangkok and that's why, and they never, they, his mom ended up teaching English and his dad continued his business and, and he, he grew up, he grew up here, but all the kids went back to the States to go to college. That's such an interesting story. I feel like you should call him in the room and <laughs> I can talk yeah, to him. Yeah. That is here somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've lived in a bunch of different states in the U.S., but uh, which I thought was a little different. But no, I, that's really, <laughs> <laughs> that, my it is though. Pales in comparison to that. <laughs> but um, then it's funny because I think mine pals in comparison to the people I meet overseas who've lived in 10, 15 different countries and people who work for embassies or development organizations, and they live in really interesting places. Uh, it's funny. It's all, yeah, it's all perspective and yeah, I guess comparison. <laughs> it is. I think that when you travel though, especially when you travel to other countries, you, you kind of realize how small your world has been mm-hmm. before you started traveling and how there's, there's so many different perspectives, there's lifestyles and cultures and food. I'm a big foodie. Um, I'd yeah. like to come there just to too. And <laughs> I think you realize, you know, how, how small your world can be if you are only in one spot, if you never actually get to see other countries and see how other people yeah. live. And yeah, it's really, really eye opening. I think that's what, in, when I met Chris and he said he, he grew up in Thailand, I, I, it wasn't that he grew up in Thailand or it was, it was that this person would have s- such wider of a worldview yeah. than anyone I had ever met before. And that's what was so interesting uh, about it. And I think that's what I appreciate so much about this opportunity to live in different countries is that it, it's really eye-opening. It just really broadens the view of, that you have of the world and makes you feel very small and insignificant, but in a very significant way. Like it's, it's refreshing to know that there's so many people in the world and they all have their, their story and they all have things that impact them and they all have different sets of beliefs because of the culture they grew up in. And it's fascinating. It, it's re- it really is eye-opening. And also the way that we do things in the U.S. is not necessarily the, I'm saying this with finger quotes, the right way. There's not a (laughs) a right way to live or do things. Absolutely. I mean, I think another thing that was really impactful for me was I grew up in a very religious household. So like very, very straight and narrow. You can't do these kinds of things or this this is what the consequence will be. But in a very very interpreting the Bible in a very strict, literal way. And I always questioned that. I I always felt like I was not in tune with with that message. A lot of it came after meeting Chris and talking more about different cultures and different religions. And And I studied some religion classes in college just out of pure interest about why, why can some people believe so strictly about a set of beliefs? 
but I think like knowing that there's, you know, there's people who believe in so many different religious beliefs and they're like, and it's not their fault. Like they grew up in a different part of the world and they have a different culture and a different set of beliefs and that's totally cool. And, and let's learn about it and not make it like a thing that's, it's different. So it's wrong. Um, it's just different because it's different because it's a different part of the world and it's a different set of beliefs and it's a different culture. And I, I really appreciate getting to know other people for all of those things that they bring to the table and working in a really diverse company is, is an amazing, it's an amazing experience because you, you, you really understand why that diversity and inclusion is so important to companies and I'm experiencing that now and it's it's really quite remarkable to understand it and yeah so it's it's you're you're right it's 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 pretty incredible <laughs> are you bilingual or trilingual unfortunately no <laughs> i can speak a bit of thai a bit of lao no myanmar those are the countries that we've been in so we started out in laos um, to go back to your question we started yeah. out in laos we, we, we were in Laos for two years. We then moved to Thailand for two years because, so we started out both working for this law firm together. Chris hated practicing law. So went into this business role, ended up getting a job with a company based in Bangkok. So we moved to Bangkok, but that company then moved him to Laos and then to Myanmar and then back to Bangkok. And all along that way, I was able to transfer offices of the law firm that I was working for. So I just stayed with the same law firm for 12 years and transferred offices while he got moved and then ended up resigning from that firm two years ago and uh, doing some consulting work. So I consulted for the firm plus the International Labor Organization for a year and we were going to move back to the States, actually. So this was exactly last year at this time or a little bit sooner. We were, we were thinking of really making a move back to the States. And um, because of an opportunity or just to move back to the States? No, just sort of like being ready for a change from Asia and wanting the kids to experience growing up in the U.S. for a little while. Yeah, just taking a break and doing something different. And I was really, I was really wanting out of private practice. I was sort of just done. And I, I was going to take a different, I was actually thinking of leaving law altogether, really. I was thinking of doing something really different, writing, being more like doing something more creative. And then this, the, the company Agoda that I work for now, a recruiter contacted me through LinkedIn about this employment council role. I thought if I stayed in law, this was actually the job that I had always been waiting for. Like it was like the, sort of the job of the in-house job of my dreams, like literally being handed to me. And uh, so I interviewed and went through it. And I just thought the company just seemed like a really great place to be. And I felt like I had something, some energy in me to devote to a really good company if I was given that opportunity. But it's really hard to find in-house jobs. Yeah. specialized in employment. Like there's lots of general commercial counsel and, and other kinds of specialized counsel, depending on the industry, but employment counsel isn't one that's is super common. And most of the ones that I found were based in Singapore, but all of a sudden there was this opportunity and I, I took it and it's been, it's been fantastic. I'm so glad I did. And quite frankly, I'm really glad I'm in Thailand at the moment. Oh, you are? <laughs> and not in the U S. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. so I should say uh, for people who might be listening to this or watching it long after COVID is, is done, it's COVID yeah. now. And so yeah. we have a lot of the shelter in place rules. How has it been there? 
it's been fine. I mean, the March, April, May, June was work from home, stay at home, school with the kids at home, and lots of very strict rules. So curfews and and things like that. But then since mid-June, we've been back in our offices and people just follow rules easily here. It's not such a debate. Like people just wear masks. So, they so, don't feel like they're being like, oppressed because they can't go to the hair salon. No. And it's like things have opened back up slowly with strict measures. So the hair salons are, you know, you can have a certain number of people and things like that and you can't wait for very long. But I think part of it, like I said, I was having lunch with a Thai colleague today and she said <laughs> the, the the mask thing is sort of funny because everyone here was wearing masks already. Not everyone, but a lot of people, especially Thai people, were wear, wearing masks because of the pollution. The yeah. pollution here had reached a level that was so bad that especially people with pre-existing health issues were wearing masks. And then a lot of people just because the smog is so thick. So the the mask thing wasn't a big deal. It was just that everybody then started wearing masks instead of people concerned about the pollution. And were you? it's, yeah, I wasn't wearing one. I wasn't wearing masks because of the pollution because I wasn't really out in it. Like our kids school would limit the amount of outdoor activity they could do because of the, the pollution issues. And I would limit my, my running and stuff like that, but I wasn't wearing a mask, but it, it then wasn't a big deal for me to, to put a mask on. And when we started back at our office, we were welcomed back with like a little kit of, you know, hands, gels, the alcohol spray and a, a mask that has the company name on it and, and a little thing. And, <laughs> and it doesn't, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it was very clever, very cute and clever. And, um, and it's not a big deal. The mask thing is just not a big deal. Everybody just wears a mask and there's distancing measures that are taken like in elevators. There's footprints that are like shoe prints on the floor spaced yeah. out. And you're only supposed to have that many people in the elevators. And then all of the, all of the shops and stores have spots on the floor, like stickers placed on the floor where you can stand and, and you QR codes that you scan to check into places and things. I mean, yeah. it hasn't, it hasn't, life here is pretty much back to normal. And I almost feel bad putting anything on social media because life's pretty good. <laughs> you can go to restaurants and go yeah. inside. Cause right now here we only have outdoor seating. Yeah. We, we go to lunch. We go, yeah, it's, I mean, they have like distant, they have, X's on certain parts of the table where they want you to try to space yourselves. Yeah. Um, but it's not for like overall, it's pretty much fine and back to normal with the, with the precautions, like the masks and lots of hand gel everywhere and, yeah. and checking in and having, you have your temperature taken almost every shop you go in or restaurant, they take your temperature and things like that. So what are they but, saying about Americans? About COVID. And then I want to know what they well, generally, what the general <laughs> kind of, um, I don't know, tenor is about Americans. Mm. I think Americans in general, are, it's not like an American thing. It's ever since Trump was elected, they're wondering what the hell, <laughs> like what, what? What's going on? So when, like, if some, if a taxi driver asks me if I'm from Australia or UK, I just say yes. <laughs> Agree. Because oh, if I say no. I'm, if I say, they call, they say America, they don't say U.S. or USA, they say America, yeah. you're from America. Yes. And then they, it just automatically is something about Trump and blah, blah, blah. And I don't, I just don't even want to deal with it. So I just go with the, yeah, Australia, I'm from Australia. 
So do they think that there's all kinds <laughs> and then they of craziness say, happening in, in the U.S. because of yeah. Trump? Yes. I mean, Trump has been like, what? What is what's wrong with your country kind of thing? Like, how how did he get elected? Um, that's well, that's I'm not a Trumpy, so I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yes. And I always say, I didn't, I didn't, I voted for Clinton. So, <laughs> I mean, more recently, they just, it's sort of like a shaking their head. Like, it's really, it's re- just really bad. And they don't, there's no plan. There's no explanation. There's just a lot of hot air being blown about. Yeah, it's it's yeah. shocking. It's well, really shocking. Well, we've far exceeded everywhere else in, in our yeah. cases. So... <laughs> So you won. Maybe that's what the yes. After. yes, we won. Yeah. Yeah. Victory. Yeah. I um, mean, I think the concern in Thailand is that there will be a second wave if the borders open. But right now it's very strictly, it's very strict. I have a, a colleague who's, whose husband was away because he went back to his home country and flew back and had to go through very strict measures to get back in the country. So their state state quarantine for 14 days and if you don't want to stay in the state facility in like the thai government facility you can stay in these hotels that have set themselves up as quarantine facilities you have to pay extra oh um, wow so they don't let you just go home and self-quarantine oh no and they track you like you're tracked Wow. And that you're like, you're, yeah, you go into a certain, yeah, she was explaining the whole process from the time he arrived at the airport and what happened every step along the way. And it's, it's a very strict process going through it. And then you go to your, this room and then it's cleaned, I think every 24 hours or something. Wow. It's, it's like sanitized and, and then food is brought to you. And it, yeah, so it's, it's just, wow. it's very You're strictly implemented and yeah. And, and there's been, I mean, as far as the information we have, there's no local transmissions here since June, I think since the beginning of June. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, yeah, and so we, it's all imported. I mean, the rules we have here are, well, I'm talking about New Jersey, and I think this is happening all over the U.S., is they have the rules, but I don't think they're actually being enforced. I mean, how would we enforce yeah. them? They'd send you home and tell you to self-quarantine, and I don't really think that people are taking that very seriously. I know people that have traveled and didn't self-quarantine. Yeah. So, and you know, you've yeah. got a lot of people going out and going out in big groups and not wearing masks. So I think that's probably part of the problem. Yeah. But I, but we're not going to solve COVID on this call. <laughs> um, I'm more interested in you. So I want to back up a little bit to when you decided to move to Thailand, did, did you have some fear? I, I feel like I would have been excited, mm. but afraid at the same time. Yeah. So the very, the very first move, like from New yeah, Jersey to you, Laos. Yeah. yeah. So I did, but there was something very settling. Like I really wanted this adventure. I think I was really settled about it. Like I, I'll be okay because I can always come back. I think having, you know, ha- being with Chris, who had grown up in in Asia, I think was definitely a comforting part of, of the journey. But we were moving to Laos, which I had never actually traveled to. So I was moving to a place and going to work for a place that I had never actually seen and never a country I'd never been to. That was a, a bit a bit frightening um, because the way the job was described to us was, 
if there's there's work throughout the region, so there's some in Vietnam and some in Cambodia, and there there may it may be that we need help in our other offices as well. And I thought of myself like on a flight from Laos to Vietnam, dealing with some kind of commercial transaction that I didn't even know what I was doing. And that was, you know, if I thought too much about it, I was I was a bit frightened. But then I decided I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna go with it. Just go with it. Just just do it and. I know that I have a good work ethic and I can learn stuff and it's not family. It's not going to be family law. It's going to be something completely different, but I just have to, I just have to study up and learn and learn as I go and figure out how to, how to do it. And that's what it was. It was just learning on the job basically. So when you went back to work at Riker, when you went home after this vacation, how long was it when you made this decision that you were going to move to Laos? It took a few months to hear back from the firm in in Laos. So the the partner was based in Bangkok, and that's where we met him. But he wanted us to to move it to Laos, which we hadn't been to. But the firm was going through like some kind of M and A thing, so it wasn't. There were some quiet. There were quiet months, and we thought we actually thought, okay, that guy wasn't. He wasn't serious about it. So we're just going to move on with our lives. And so I yeah, settled back into Riker Danzig. That was like January of 2007. And we didn't hear from that partner until the, like late April. I vividly remember getting the email the day that I got it. Um, because I was real. I mean, Riker was not an easy place to work. It was like yeah. really full on. You know, it's... I've heard that. It's good. Yeah, quite full on. And another, another place where very tough partner, but learned a lot. Like when I, when I look back at how much I learned, it was, it was a lot, but, but it, it was tough. It was, it was not easy. And I, I don't think I was long for it. It would have been maybe another year or two. And I would have looked to move to maybe a smaller firm. And I really liked, I liked like the custody mediation stuff. I really liked a, like a pellet kind of brief writing. Yeah. I hated case information statements or anything tax and financial related. And so I was, I was thinking about how I can stay within family law, but do something different. And we really had just settled back into our life. I remember buying a Toyota RAV4, like this blue Toyota RAV4 with all the bells and whistles. And we were just going to live in New Jersey for a while. And then literally it's like, we bought that car and then we got this job offer to move overseas. And it's not like cars appreciate in value or anything. So, so you couldn't take the car we, um, with you or you just didn't need it? No, we didn't have like the package to move overseas was like a small amount for shipping. Actually, we didn't know they just gave us like a, a lump sum, but it wasn't enough to even ship anything. So we sold everything. We sold our house. We sold everything. The car, we took a hit on the car. Like we just couldn't sell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think we sold it to another used dealer or something. <laughs> we brought, we each brought two two suitcases or whatever the maximum amount we could bring. And then our dog and our cat. We had a dog and a cat at the time. <laughs> so oh, okay. So you brought the dog and the cat. My business partner we did. teases me because I don't have pets and he thinks I'm insensitive when it comes to pets. <laughs> I probably am a little bit. I would have like, bye Fido. <laughs> they were like, yeah. real. <laughs> they were like our kids. We were quite attached. So they came with us and we brought our, just our, just clothes, just clothes and our pets and we sold that. everything else. I love that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that how much do you really need? Yeah, you I, don't. I mean, we were going to rent a house and it was partially furnished and we, we bought some other stuff to go in it to make it enough to live in. And you really don't need a ton. 
I mean, now we've amassed a whole house of stuff. Yeah. But you realize that if you had to leave suddenly, I don't know. Probably should make it more pleasant, right? Like you wanted to go back to the States and you didn't want to haul all this stuff. Probably the stuff, you know, I say that in air quotes too. We have a lot of stuff we don't really need. It's not that important. It's like material things. Yeah. Day to day, you really can get by with quite quite a small amount, but we did, we did put stuff in a storage unit um, and we put it in, we put it in North Carolina because we had that, that's where most of our friends were, friends and family. We had, because we had been in law school there. So we have really good friends near Raleigh, North Carolina, and we've got a storage unit there and we put like stuff that we didn't want to bring overseas, but we didn't want to get rid of like photo albums and stuff. Like we yeah. had just got married a couple of years before this and we had stuff. We just had stuff that we didn't want to bring. Like, yeah, like uh, I'm thinking of wedding photos and all those sort of, all the small stuff that you get as wedding gifts, like I don't, cutlery yeah, <laughs> and, and appliances China. and things. We didn't know what to do with it because we thought if this overseas gig doesn't work out, we're like, we don't want to come back and buy all this stuff that we just got gifted. So maybe we'll just keep it for a little while. We'll put it in a storage unit. And then if we move, if we ended up moving back home, we'll have like a starter kit for setting up an apartment or a, a, a house or whatever. So we kept it and damn it, we paid. <laughs> we paid so much money for that stuff because we just kept paying for this storage unit wow. month after month, year after year, until it was like, I think, 12 years later, we never visited that storage unit again until two summers ago. And then we finally visited it and, and just culled a bunch of stuff and downsized it. Cause by that point it was, we went into it and we we're like, why did we keep half of this stuff? It was, it was clothes and shoes, like stuff that would be actually stuff that probably would be back in fashion at some point. You could probably <laughs> bring them to a It's like vintage, stuff. yeah. So we just loaded them? up the car with good and went to Goodwill several times and, and got rid of a lot of it. Um, yeah. So I have to ask you, how did your parents take this when you said, yeah, I'm moving to Laos? <laughs> how, how did they take that? Did you have to sit them down and was it like a big thing? They were, they were really supportive and okay with it. And I think they were like, oh, it's, I think they, they knew because I had, I had taken every, every opportunity I could to travel before that. So I had done the semester of law school in the Netherlands. I had done the trip to France and I think they knew, they just, it's like they almost expected it in, in some sort of way. I don't, I don't know they were really okay with it. And I don't think they expected us to be gone this long for sure. I mean, my yeah. mom's heartbroken that I had all my kids in Bangkok, Thailand and, and she wasn't here during those times. But then I thought I have two sisters and they both live very close to my parents and, and are very uh, close with them and, and their kids are close with my parents. So I thought, okay, at least they have, they have them. So, How often do you get uh, to see them? Do they come to see you? Yeah. It used to be once a year, every summer we would go home, um, except this is the first summer that we haven't been home in, in a long time. Yeah, I saw the 4th uh, of July you usually go. I saw that on Yes, Facebook. yes, yes, exactly. We try to go by the, get there by the 3rd so we can have the 4th and then stay for a few weeks in July. Um, but that obviously didn't happen this summer, but um, yes, yeah, normally once a year. And then my mom was actually here this past Christmas she retired from her job late last year and then was here the end of last year and thankfully flew back 
before everything got really bad, but she was here. And other than that, they've been, they, they visit us when we lived in Laos. And my, one of my sisters has been over once. So not, not a huge amount, but they've, they've tried it. I mean, it's a really far trip and it takes, yeah. you have to have very, very minimum of 10 days, two weeks, ideally. And if you can get three weeks, that's, that's even better. But like a two week trip really makes it worth because there's so much jet lag at the beginning. Yeah. And then going back. Time change. Yeah. So. And speaking of the time, I think I probably told you this was about an hour. Yep. And it's been an hour, but I still feel like I want (laughs) to ask you a few more questions if that's okay. (laughs) That's totally fine. Yeah. So I work for this company, Agoda, but it's owned by the parent company is Booking Holdings, uh, which owns Booking.com, Agoda, Kayak, OpenTable, Priceline. They're all sister brands of the same parent company. I, a lot of people don't know that. So they think I that if you go that. and look at like different hotels, <laughs> they're all competing and they are to a certain extent, but they're all sister brands of this, of booking holding. So I have at least, at least once, if not two or three times a week calls with our group company. Um, so I'm on the phone at this time fairly often at, at night. So it's okay. Like it's well, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. So when you first moved from New Jersey, yeah. How would you describe that initial get acclimation to life in a completely different culture? Was it a, a hard adjustment? Was it exciting, exhilarating, all of the above? All of all of it. I mean, to me, it was so exciting and exhilarating. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could about the culture and the city we were, this new city we were living in. I found the work to be really challenging because it was a completely different area of law. I mean, it's commercial transaction. So going from family litigation to commercial transaction work. But what I, what it, it was, it's so eye-opening also from a perspective of the, how the world works. So in Laos, we were working on a lot of hydropower and mining and banking projects. And you just learn so much about how, how business works and how the world functions. And, and it, it's really incredible. I think the the experience of living in a different place was, it was just exciting. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was just every day wanting to, not every day, because we had to go to work, but on the, on the weekends, just wanting to explore a different part of the city and see what we could learn and try different restaurants and learn more about, I, I, I'm a foodie as well. I love like trying the new foods of, of, of wherever we are and different restaurants. So it was just a lot of exploring in, in those days and, and seeing what trips we could go on within Laos and and taking trips around the region. So like in the couple of years before we had kids, we tried to do some traveling around the region. So within Asia or Southeast Asia and just, yeah, exciting, exciting. And I can't, I can't recall any time being, I mean, there were times that I guess I was, it was frightening. Like I remember one night being in, in the car, trying to drive to, to meet people somewhere. And I, I sort of got lost in the city and I couldn't f- figure out where I was. And this is, Vientiane Laos is a very small, sleepy town. That everything sort of shuts at like 10 PM. It's like really quiet. It's a communist country. It's, it's um, very low key. And I remember being really frightened because I couldn't figure out how to get to where I was supposed to go. And this is not when you could put like pull up Google Maps on your phone or yeah. something. 
and those those kinds of those experiences of just being so far off the grid compared to where you came from and not knowing where you're supposed to go was i mean frightening because you don't you don't know what can happen or what to anticipate but i think the longer you spend somewhere the safer you feel in it and i f- i feel safer in asia than when i go back to the states which i i think is it's a strange thing like i go back to the us and i everything operates at a different pace and it's a different interactions with people and i yeah if i go running i'm i'm like i don't really know the territory as well whereas if i'm running here it's just like it's where i live it's my home i don't know it's 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 strange does it's it strange like to feel bit, like a stranger yeah <laughs> in your own yeah country. that's what yeah. i was going to ask you does it feel like a little bit of a culture shock to go back to the states now cuz it does definitely yeah. a different way of life it does it does feel um it does feel different although it still feels like home as well it's it's a it's a very it's like very interesting memory. kind of feeling yes it's like okay this is how we do this here <laughs> yeah now, what are your thoughts about your children's experience because they were all you said they were all born in bangkok yeah so they've yeah. never known life any other way than yeah. living in asia and i know you said that where you've lived that they they're distinct but they haven't lived in the states they haven't so they were when we so we bounced around asia a bit so it was like laos thailand laos myanmar thailand and when we had the first and third ones we lived in laos and the second one we lived in in bangkok but they were all born in bangkok because you wouldn't stay in laos and have like, have a, have a child there's not like sufficient medical care um to do that so we would we would move temporarily to bangkok to have have the baby <laughs> and then get the passport to be able to travel back to laos so we did that with our first one and our third one so they're all born in thailand but what about immigration they, issues do you, are obviously you're a us citizen but do you just need visas to live where you are now Yeah, so a visa and we both have work permits through our company. So it depends on the the type of visa you have depends on what you're doing in the country. So if I was here not working but my husband was working, I'd have a certain type of visa, a dependent visa which means I can't work. But we both have like the working visa and then a work permit. And we just have to report to the immigration authorities every 90 days if we don't go out of Thailand. And usually we we take a trip definitely we never stay with in thailand for 90 days except under covid circumstances where we can't go anywhere so this is the for this year's the first time that we've ever had to report the 90 day stay in thailand but the kids yeah they i mean they 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 get exposure to the us when we're there in the summer but they and they they love it but they they see the us as in the eyes of a summer trip so yeah baseball games and fairs and 4th of July and seeing the grandparents and cousins and they don't I've explained to them if we lived there it would be like your life is here like you have to go to school yeah. and yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that's the danger of when you visit some place like oh I want to live here it would be nice to live here but uh, yeah. you have to remember you're not working and doing laundry and yes I'm sure <laughs> So yeah. um so are they they're US citizens because their parents are, right? Exactly. Yeah, there was a point in time when you could pass on 
Like when Chris was born here, I think he could have gotten dual citizenship, but his parents chose only U.S. When our kids were born, we could only pass on whatever our citizenship was to to them. But we had to prove all the time. We had to prove that we were like all the time that we had spent in the U.S. over the course of our lifetimes to make sure that we would lived there long enough that we could pass on our citizenship. For me, it was fine. It was easy. I grew up there. But for Chris, it was much more difficult because he grew up overseas (laughs) and do you think that you will, do you think your lifers where you are now? Do you think that, well, you're probably not judging from your history, but do you, mm-hmm. you had mentioned that you might like the children to live in the U.S. at some point. How do you feel about that right now? Right, right now, I'm very happy where we're at. And I think we'll spend some more years here. Professionally, I'm very happy and fulfilled. And that has, that's for the first time in a long time. I, I mean, I appreciate my experience at the law firm I was at, but I was really, I was really ready to move on from it. And working for a company that has, it just has so much opportunity for me and is a really fantastic place to, to work. I'm really happy with it. And I think because of the state of the globe at the moment, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and just be settled for a while. We really had been thinking I mean, more so before I took this job, we had been thinking about moving back back to the States. We bought a house in Colorado last summer. We thought we were going <laughs> to You thought move. you were going to move to Colorado? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we bought the house. as like a summer summer okay. trip home kind of house. So it's like we, we just wanted a home base because we were tired of doing Airbnb rentals and yeah. having to move because we wouldn't commit to one because you never know what you're going to get, no matter what they show online. Yeah, you could show up and it's like, so we, we would never commit to like one for two or three weeks. It would be like, we'd get one for each week. And then you, you waste so much time moving between them and, and it's never, it's never your own place. And we were just tired and you spend loads of money on them as well. It's a lot. Um, So we just decided to buy a house to have for the summers and we love Colorado. We just love the outdoors, the mountains. We have, I have an aunt and uncle who live near the house we bought and they, they're looking after it and, and stuff. So we we planned on obviously that's where we were going to spend the summer, but we didn't we didn't get to go there. Um, but we I think eventually we'll we have that there for the summertime and down the road if we decide to move back home we'll, we'll that's there. But yeah. it's at the moment I'm really happy to be here. It's like it's actually a really nice feeling to just be settled and happy that that we're somewhere that we're happy to be. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Good for you. And Thanks. it might even be hard for your kids to make, maybe they don't want to move. Did you ever talk to them about that? They're, they're mixed about it. Like they, they talk about our Colorado house and when we move to Colorado kind of thing. But then they'll, I don't they're, they're happy here too. I mean, they're, they, they have their friends here. A hard thing though about expat life is people are constantly moving. So every two to three years, you're saying bye to friends you've made. And especially yeah. for the kids, like they, they make really close friends at school and then they move two years later, three years later. Um, so our, the one who, the daughter who just came to give me a hug, her, her friend, her closest friend at school is just moved to, to Singapore. Um, and she was distraught. Like she was Aww. in tears that whole day that she had to say bye to her. And our son, who's two years older than her, um, his closest friend from school just moved back to Brazil this year and uh yeah and then we have a a, a six-year-old who um 
experiences the, the goodbyes as well. It's just a, it becomes part of life to, to see people come and go. And when you're always the one staying, it's hard to see that that going. We, yeah. We've been on the going side of, of several times. Um, and that's hard as well to, to leave a place. But I think that's the amazing thing about they call they call them third culture kids like kids who grew up in a different culture than where they're from and um they they they're just adaptable like they they're yeah. amazingly resilient and adaptable and they they just get on with it and they they make friends and they they have this this perspective that's that's really broad and um it's yeah we'll we'll see how we how we how we go and if we end up in the states but i have at this point, I have no idea when, yeah. when that might be, especially given the state of the states at the moment. Yeah. Well, you're right. You mentioned something. That's a great life skill for your kids. Yeah. might seem sad at the time. You know, they're sad that they're losing a friend. But it, there's so many kids that don't grow up with any change whatsoever. And they're actually kind of sheltered and insulated. And then when yeah. they become adults, the change can be really hard for them. I see. Yeah. I've had to convince myself that there's no right or wrong in our situation. Cause sometimes you go through, am I doing the wrong thing? Maybe we should move back and they should be closer to family. They should be closer to friends. They should have this and that, you know, the stuff that I'm familiar with from growing up in the States and they should get to experience this. And, and, and I've had to really convince myself that there's, there's just no right or wrong in this situation. It's they're They're going to just have a different experience for better, for worse. And there's, there's always going to be good and bad about both. But what I like, what I love about them growing up in an overseas in an international school setting is that they go to school with kids from all different countries and cultures. And they, they're, they're one of only, they're, they're sometimes the only one, or maybe one of two, maybe three American kids in their whole class of like 20 kids. And there'll be kids from all different countries otherwise and they just they don't see any difference they just everybody's just yeah and that's yeah, I was gonna I, ask I think, you I think that remarkable I was yeah i you that if, if do you, are you do you kind of are you kind of immersed in like an expat community or are you spending time with expats too but also with other people that have lived there their whole lives yeah a combination i mean i i work with people from all different countries like the, the legal team at Agoda is it's very diverse culturally and then within we live in this so the city is is like we're in the city but we're in this like little removed part where this tiny little neighborhood of 10 houses around a circle and we're um we're the only completely American family in here like there's another family that's American Serbian and it's lots of lots of European different European countries. Yeah, it's, it's just completely diverse. I think that we mostly socialize with our neighbors because we both work full time and it, like that's just mostly what we, what we have time uh, for socially. But if we do get together with other people, it's generally, yeah, I mean, we have very limited, limited like groups of American friends. Like we have some, the American curriculum school is quite far from the city as well. So I think a lot of American families like U.S. Embassy and other American companies who send their 
employees overseas, they often live, they want to send their kids to American curriculum school because they know their posting is only going to be for two to three years. So they want to keep up the same curriculum. They live in this neighborhood that's quite far away from the city. So we just never considered it because it's just too far of a commute. Um, And the Bangkok traffic is awful already. So commuting within the city is is enough. (laughs) And commuting from outside just wasn't an option for us. So that's, our, yeah, our kids go to this British international school and we'll sort out the curriculum stuff later. I think they're too young to, to worry too much about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our oldest one is starting like British school secondary level, which is like our, our middle school in the US. Yeah. So he's just starting that this in a couple of weeks. And that's like, it's getting a little bit scary. <laughs> so, yeah. How old are they? Yeah. They're 11, 9, and 6. 11, 9, and 6. Yeah, well, yeah. you don't have the house of teenagers yet. Do Not they speak other languages? They understand some Thai. Um, we've had a helper, a, a, a nanny who sort of developed into like a, a helper around the house. Like she, you know, in La- places like Laos, there's no there's no daycare options. So if you're going to, if you're both working, then you, you have somebody who's, who works at, at home at your house. So uh, we're fortunate enough to have this um, lovely, lovely lady, Yah, who's worked for us since our second one was born. So for almost 10 years or nine and a half, nine and a half years. And she's moved with us as well, like to Myanmar, Laos and back to Thailand. She's Thai and from, Tha- from, from Thailand. She speaks, she speaks English, but she speaks Thai. We ask her to speak Thai to them and they understand, but they won't, they generally don't respond back. <laughs> in Thai a little bit, but they, I think they'll, they'll, they have the, the understanding. They're learning Spanish at school. And that was partly our decision because we thought if we do move back to the U.S., that would be very helpful. Yeah. It's a and good uh, now. they went to a French school when they, when we lived in Laos, the two older ones went to a French school for a little bit of time. So they became fluent while we were there, but then they were so young and then we moved. So they didn't really keep up with it, but it's, it's there, it's there in their yeah. brain somewhere. So <laughs> they, could, they could pick it up again. I mean, the interesting thing about that is because they were so young, they can actually make the sounds and, and yeah. speak the language in a way that they probably would have minimal accent if at all. Yes. Yeah, I think so. That's always the hard part for an adult learning a new language is Sometimes there's different sounds that are in those other languages that aren't like in English that are hard to make. Especially with Asian languages are very tonal. So you can say the same word, but if you say it with a different tone, it'll mean a different thing. So like the same word will mean something four different, have four different meanings depending on the tone you use. Um, So that's a tricky thing about, about Thai and Lao and, and even other Asian languages, it's just, it's, yeah, you don't want to, you're worried about saying the wrong thing if you use the wrong tone. So, yeah, yeah so <laughs> it's yeah. tricky. I mean, I, I started learning Lao when we lived in Laos, but then we moved after the first couple of years, we moved to Thailand. And then I, I didn't start learning Thai because I, I think I was having babies and stuff and then working and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any extra energy. Um, then we mo- ended up moving back to Laos and I again committed to learning Lao. I started learning actually reading and writing. Um, but then we, we were there for four years and then moved to Myanmar and I, I didn't have any intention of, of learning Myanmar language. 
and then moved back to Thailand. And I thought we would be here for a few years and move back to the States. But here we are and we keep staying and staying and staying. And I, I think, you know, eventually I just need to learn more Thai. Like I can... I can order food at a restaurant. I can drive a taxi. I can bargain at a market. I can do all the like the essential yeah. things in time, but I can't, like I wouldn't be able to carry on a conversation at work, but I, I mean, yeah. even the Thai people speak English at work. So I don't need, I don't really need it, but it would just be a nice to have kind of thing. Yeah. So, well, yeah. so I, I realized we were definitely going way over time and I'm so appreciative that you are um, giving me so much time because I know it's a lot later there. But we do have to talk about food before we end this conversation. <laughs> I am a big time foodie. I do have a request of you, a personal okay. request. Please post more food photos on Facebook. I don't, I think you do occasionally, but yeah. I'm dying. I'm like drooling right now just thinking about it. I'm dying to see what you eat. Okay. Oh, I should have posted my lunch today. So good. One of the best Thai dishes ever. You'll have to try it. What is it? It's called Tom Yom Gung. And Tom Yom is soup and Gung means prawn. So it's this spicy prawn soup and it's so good. It's just so good. And my office is, it's a very hot climate. It's tropical and you would never think that you'd want to eat soup. But my office is so freezingly air conditioned that all I wanted to eat today for lunch with soup. So I, yeah, I went, I went and, and had soup with, with a colleague and we loved it. It was so good. Yeah. So, you know, here in the States, you know, I think what we eat as Thai food at a Thai restaurant yeah. might be very different than like real, real. I use my air yeah. a lot. Real, <laughs> real Thai food. And I actually, I, yeah, I think I it's Westernized a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, Chinese food, I, I've heard if you go to China, it's it's completely different. It's nothing like what what Americans, the American palate wants in yeah. the U.S. And I went to Amsterdam a few years ago and I had some Asian food there. I don't, I can't, I can't be more specific than Asian food, but I <laughs> loved it. I was so in love with it and it was absolutely nothing like anything that I had ever eaten in the States and somebody I know who's world traveled had recommended a few of these restaurants and, and said it was really authentic. And I thought, wow, this is what we should be eating. <laughs> so, so that's what I want to ask you is, you know, what's, what are some typical dishes that you have there that are re is real Thai food and that you really love? Yeah. I mean, I can rattle off my favorite ones and then you can try to find them in <laughs> in the states where are you in new jersey what i'm in morristown what... you're in morristown okay so if you go down to somerville or bridgewater i don't know if they're still there but if you can find the restaurant that we went to the thai restaurant that we went to when we lived in somerville there's an authentically thai authentic thai restaurant owned by a thai family and we became really close with them um because Chris can speak Thai mostly, but just know, like they would make Thai food in the way that it's supposed to be made when we would go there. Um, Is it Oregon? I think it's, I think it's called, I, I want to say it's called Chow Priya, but it, that's the name of the main river that runs through Bangkok. Okay. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know if it would still exist or not, um, but let me see. I'll see if, if I can f find it, if it's, yeah, who knows if it's still located where it was, but it, it's, they make really good Thai food, but um, so the Tom Yom Gung is the the soup. There's this one. There's a, it would be on a on a 
on an American menu saying something about like a meat and chili and basil. But basil is like Thai basil is very different than like Italian basil. It has a completely different taste. It's called potgarpao. <laughs> potgarpao guy. You know, like I'm chicken not going to remember any of this. Yeah, <laughs> like with basil. I think you. I'll have to. I'll just have to message you separately. But like, okay, Thank these you. are the things you should you should eat at a Thai restaurant. I would um, appreciate that, and I think anybody listening would too. And uh, patsyu is like this new like flat wide noodle stir fried with. Um, with a, a vegetable and egg and chicken. I mean, there's there's so many there's so many dishes that are so good. Is that um, what we're we're going to a beach next week, so we'll get seafood. Like, okay, yeah, so like, post pictures. <laughs> just yes. if anybody, I'll try to do the food. This is when I'm good at doing the pictures. Is when I go on trips. I'm like day to day. I just don't even think about it. But there's so much that I see on a day to day basis that I'm. I think I wonder if people would find that interesting. Absolutely, um, I would. I think other people would too. And this is what I was going to start doing when I was going to leave the law. I was going to start blogging. Um, I had this dream of like having a blog about living overseas and traveling with kids and things like that. So I um, you should do it. Yeah, I bought a domain name. I started building this website, and then I got this other job, and it sort of fell. Sort of oh, fell you you know what? Now, but it's there. I still own it. Oh, you <laughs> so. should do it. Bloggers are really on Instagram. You know, you yeah. need a website. Well, I'm just curious, what's the website? I'll tell you when I launch. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I just have to share this one little story with you. So I, like I said, I love watching um, your Facebook and seeing what you guys are up to and places you're visiting. And I love all the pictures you post of your kids, but there was this one that I always remember because it was so cute. Your little one, your youngest daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, I think your kids were at some place where they were getting pasta making lessons. Does this sound familiar uh, at all? Yeah, and yeah. You took this photo of the little one who was really little at the time. She looked so scared. She's like, she just had this look like she was looking off to the side at what they were doing. And she just looked like, oh, dear. Oh, yes. Yes. I I don't think I'm doing this right. (laughs) And I I just uh, love it. It's like my absolute favorite picture. I know what you're talking about. I think it's the one we were making pizza at home. Oh, pizza. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, we were making dough. We were making pizza dough at home in Myanmar. And, and yeah, I I remember that now. (laughs) She was, I I think it said something like, she's realized she has to help make her own food. And she was just like, what? (laughs) What the? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of interesting because she's got the two older siblings and, you know, she's the little one. So they're always going to be a little further ahead of her. And, and it just always looks like she's like the little one that's like trying to keep up. But now she's yeah. bigger, so. <laughs> she is. She's already six. And she um, she really does make herself known that she's that she's here and she's ready to ready to compete with, with them. And <laughs> she wakes up. She at one point told me she wanted to be a lawyer. And I was like, she'd make a good one. Like she wakes up ready to roll. Like she she argues a point until you just give up. You're like, yeah, 
I, I can't, I can't argue with you anymore. <laughs> she's, yeah. yeah. She's got it in her, but yeah, I love, and I also love following you on Instagram. It's been fantastic. I can't believe we stayed in touch all this time after that one divorce case. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad that we did. And I um, love your quotes. I'm a big quote person and I love the quotes that you post. They're always really, uh, they're always really art like, I don't know, like poignant for what I'm thinking about for some reason. Like it just, yeah, fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes I post them. I'm like, does anybody read these? Does anybody care? Totally. (laughs) Um, Totally do. I'm so glad that they speak to you. Well, thank you for your time. I feel like there's so much more that I could talk about, but I know that it might be close to your bedtime and maybe we can do it another time. I'd, I'd really love to talk more about the culture and, you know, what life is like there for you I know you've lived in different places and I just think that's really fascinating so maybe another time absolutely I'd be happy to talk anytime (laughs) thank you um thanks for those of you who are listening to wake up call thank you I hope you enjoyed Danielle's story and we'll see you next time thank you for listening to wake up call the podcast I hope you enjoyed this episode If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.